Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, this is Rick Peterson. You're listening to The Jake Brown Show, former pitching coach of the Moneyball A's and the New York Mets. And welcome to The Jake Brown Show, CBS Radio's Play.it Network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and Spotify. You know I'm a big Mets fan and a guy that they used to call the jacket. He used to wear a... The uh, the bullpen jacket, always, even when it was 80, 90 degrees, he stayed consistent. Uh, a lot of sweating, I would imagine, happened in that jacket. Uh, it's former Mets and athletics pitching coach. The dude is a pitching genius. Uh, Rick Peterson on the line. Rick, what's going on, man? Well, Jake, you mentioned I used to. I have one on right now, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> can, can you explain what like where did that come from and why do you never take it off? Well, I think more than anything else, as a pitcher, you know, when you look in the dugout, no matter what time of the year, for the most part, most pitchers put a jacket on in between innings. Hmm. And, you know, being a pitcher, you know, I always had a jacket on, and I was, like, really comfortable with the jacket. And, and you know, it really started, you know, down that path. And then, um, really, because of, you know, television or whatever, when I became the pitching coach of the Moneyball A's, um, you know, Oakland's chilly during the summer, hmm. you know, and, and so, you know, I just naturally put a jacket on and I, I actually never put my jersey on. And, you know, so we we come into Texas in August and I had not put my jersey on the whole season, my first year with the A's. So we come into Texas in a three game series in August and it's like 100,000 degrees with a humidity of 102,000 degrees. And, you know, I said, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. You know, so I go to put my jersey on. Well, they made my jersey, like, for the Bat Boy. It's like, I can't even put this thing on. You know, it was like it was like three sizes too small. And I said, oh, my God. I said, this doesn't even fit me. You know, and so the, my only choice was to wear a jacket. And then people, that's when it really, you know, it really came out. And it's like, why is this guy wearing a jacket? It's like 100 degrees out. It's like because my jersey doesn't fit. <laughs> it's really what it came down to. And then everybody made a big, big deal about it. Um, but, you know, but the other thing that I think was really cool, and it's a really cool story, I always had, like, things in my pockets, you know, all the time in my jacket. And, and I have in all my jackets, and I have really, like, cool vintage jackets, I some, you know, lightweight leather jackets and jean jackets. And I have really cool things in my pockets, like, a, you know, the kids went, you know, somewhere on the beach, and they came back, and they said, Dad, here's a lucky shell. You know, or it's like the, a cork from uh, the champagne bottle from Tom Glavin's 300th win, you know, from Pedro Martinez's 200th win. You know, and I'd, I'd always put all this stuff in my pocket, and they were kind of like trinkets to a degree. And one of the things I did when during the Moneyball years, um, we had a big, you know, charity function. It was like a Monte Carlo night. And at the table, they had a pair, two dye, a red one and a, and a white one glued together that were doubles. And I huh. said, wow, that is, that is so cool. You know, so I, I took it and I put it in my jacket pocket. And so our pitching staff, this is when, you know, again, this is the Moneyball era, mm-hmm. you know, back back in the early two, or 2000, 
And for whatever reason, our pitching staff did better against Ichiro than any pitching staff in baseball. And a lot of it was really luck, you know, more than anything else. I mean, Ichiro's Ichiro. Come on, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but whatever reason, you know, we, we did really well. And so the PR guy comes to me, you know, about a year and a half into this and said, you know, you guys are dominating Ichiro and the, the Japanese press would like to interview and, you know, talk to you about it. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, so, and the Japanese press, they're not as sophisticated as like the New York press maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, so the questions that they asked, so they said, oh, Rick, he said, your pitching staff do best against Ichiro. Do you have any secrets? <laughs> And I'm thinking, like, yeah, well, if I had one, I'm sure I'd share it with you. And, and we're on we're on camera, right? It's not a not an audio interview. We're on camera. I said I probably shouldn't share this with you, but I I will. I said I, I really believe in a lot of luck and karma. And I said every time Ichiro comes out, I reach in my jacket pocket and I pull out this die and I start rolling it. So they're filming me rolling this, right? The camera's on my hand rolling this on the floor, and I'm rolling it. It's like doubles, and I pick it up, and it's like doubles. And as I'm rolling it, I keep saying, every time it comes up doubles, I realize that we have a great chance to get each row out. So I'm rolling it again, and the guy goes, oh, doubles, doubles, doubles. He goes, oh, you, very, very lucky. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're really lucky. I said, I think that's why we get him out most of the time. <laughs> This is an incredible story. Oh my! Great impression as well. Uh, so now we know that you had little trinkets in your pocket. So you had seashells in there. You had collectible items, corks. I didn't know there were because you would always have your hands in your pockets, like you were holding something. I figured it was just like peanuts or cracker jacks or or maybe chewing tobacco. And now we know. No, and I'd have like some. I'd have some crystals in there that like. You know, people from the Far East said that this is really good luck. You know, they're in a really tough time. I mean, whatever anybody would give me, you know, I had in my pocket. And I, had, I had multiple things. And, and I had like a bag. I had a little sack, you know, that at the end of the season I'd put all, take, empty my pockets out and put it, <laughs> put it on the sack and then, you know, pick and choose the next year. That's incredible. Rick Peterson joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick Peterson, CT, the author of Crunch Time. How to be your best. When it matters most, how did you make that A's pitching staff the best? I mean, you were instrumental uh, in that Moneyball team, and Barry Zito and Mark Mulder and Tim Hudson, and then Joe Bland came along. I mean, that team was stacked. Uh, what did you do? What did you instill in these guys to make that the best rotation in baseball back well, in the mid two thousands? You know, Jake, it was nothing about me. It was really about the process and. You know, biomechanical analysis I was involved with since 1989 with Dr. Andrews, and we did biomechanical analysis of most of our top pitchers, you know, Hudson and Zito in particular. And then Moneyball was all about predictive analysis and sabermetrics and how do you take how do you take data? And it's one of my favorite quotes, and I'm not, I'm not sure who the author is, but in God we trust, all others must have data. And we collected data, and we would lay out a game plan. And Roberto Hernandez and A.J. Hinch, two young catchers at that point in their careers, you know, were very instrumental. And we would lay out a game plan based on data. And we knew that if we located a fastball in these parts of the strike zone, the batting average against that particular hitter was very low. And here, here were the particular off-speed pitches that we could, you know, that we could execute in the zone or out of the zone. And it was basically a GPS. And 
uh, I call our pitchers, you know, as a pitching coach, professional glove hitters. Your job is to hit the glove. And, and if you miss, you miss down. So if all the listeners can, you know, really get this, if you touch the bottom of your kneecap, that's the bottom of the strike zone. The batting average at the bottom of the strike zone every single year for over probably 15, 20 years is under 200 every single year. Last year it was 193 in the big leagues. And, and when you look at, if you go down to your shin, shin, maybe even down to your ankle over the plate, when you watch a game, you see a ton of swings over the plate for balls. Hitters will swing at those kind of pitches. And so TrackMan data, which is in every single major league stadium, one of their big data points is where is the ball at 40 feet from home plate? Well, and they choose 40 feet because that's when they say the batter will have to make up his mind, do I continue to swing or do I stop a swing? Well, at 40 feet, if this pitch is about six, eight inches below your kneecap, that is, that is a perceived strike at that particular point for the perception of the hitter. That's why you see so many swings at beneath the bottom of the strike zone. You know, so from that standpoint, that, that's what we did with Moneyball. And, and Mulder, Hudson, Zito, they got this. They got it big time. And our catchers got it. AJ got it. You know, Ramon got it. And we would lay out a game plan that's really effective. And, you know, like, for example, when I was with the Mets, the first pitch batting average in the big leagues, meaning, meaning at the 0-0 count, every ball that gets put in play in the major leagues, it's, 12, it's roughly 12% of the total batter's face. So, so, Jake, take a guess. Jen, take a guess. What do you think the batting average is at the 0-0 count in the big leagues? I, I, read, I read up on this. I feel, isn't it like 230 or something? Yeah, try 341. What? It's, inc- what? it's in 341. It's incredibly high. It's never been higher than 342. It's never been lower than 337. Oh. And so when I was with the Mets, Chipper Jones, on the first pitch, he put one out of every five balls in play out of over 600 at-bats. Over 100 at-bats, he hit the first ball. His batting average was over 440 with a slug of about 850. So we would have a pitcher's meeting you know, with Mike Piazza and, you know, Al Leiter and Tom Glavin and, you know, all the, all the guys that were in there, Johnny Franco. And we would say, like, listen, Chipper Jones, at the first pitch, we need to expand the strike zone. We're going to throw a fastball in off the plate, change it below the zone, so on down the line. Chipper Jones' batting average at the 1-0 count, if the first pitch was a ball, was 192. Hmm. So after we'd have this meeting or during the meeting, you know, you know, I'd say, anybody have any comments? And Mike Piazza would go, hey, guys, hey, dudes, come on, man. He goes, hey, if Chipper Jones hits the first pitch and does some damage, cut your arm off and eat it. <laughs> but but, but that, that's how we use predictive analysis and data. Hey, Rick, I got a question for you. You mentioned doing some work with Dr. James Andrews. Um, you know, I saw an article earlier this year that you think you have a solution for the injuries that have plagued Mets pitchers. What's going on there? Well, so you understand, Jen, John, Hoper, John Harper wrote that article. Mm-hmm. And so if you read the article, and then what I realized from being with the New York media for many years at the Mets. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, right. The person who writes the article does not write the headlines. Yeah. So the headline writer comes back and says, Rick Peterson has a solution to right. keep Mets pitchers healthy. I don't have the solution for it. But if you read the article and the headline, they don't, they're not really, mm-hmm. they don't coexist. But basically what we were talking about was the fact that 
when you when you look at when you look at where in by the biomechanical analysis of a pitcher there's multiple red flag measurements when i say red flag measurements that could potentially lead to injury the arm position at foot contact based on mm-hmm. asmi data from dr fleisick and dr andrews is the most critical measurement of all if you are late at foot contact and all the listeners that are listening here if you if you google lindsay barra that's mm-hmm. uh, yogi Bar- yogi barra's granddaughter she wrote an article for ESPN Magazine about three, four, five years ago, um, and it showed all the top pitchers in the game, Pryor, Strasburg, uh, Carpenter, Wainwright, all these pitchers that were getting all these Tommy John surgeries, and she showed uh, artistic rendition of their arm position to foot contact. They're mm-hmm. late. They're late at foot contact. So if you're late at foot contact, you're going to have a major injury. So when you put max effort into a pitch, you put yourself in risk of injury of your timing mechanism is off. And and so, for example, so if you're watching a game, any major league game, and let's say it's a right-hand pitcher and a right-hand batter, and, and the catcher's sitting down in the way for a down-in-the-way fastball, mm-hmm. and, that, and that fastball ends up up and in to a right-hand hitter, he's late at foot contact. He's late at foot contact. Every single time you're late, you're wearing out the tread on the tires. So the bottom line is if you're driving your car and you put your foot on the brake and the car pulls to the right, you can still drive your car and your car will still perform. But you're not getting 40,000 miles out of that front tread. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what it comes down to. So my, what I was basically saying in the article was that, well, let's say Noah Syndergaard. His average velocity last year as a starting pitcher was 97 point something. He had the highest highest velocity of any starting pitcher in baseball. Well, if you look at Verlander, for example, Verlander will range from 91 basically to 97, 98 in the game. And he'll start the game pitching 91, 92, 93, 94, touching 95. But then on occasion, when all the money's on the table, he'll flip out at 96, 97, He'll flip out his high-end velocities. So my point in the article was like, let's say Noah Syndergaard, in the course of a 100-pitch game, has 100 pitches. He basically, his his percentage, plus or minus, is rounded off, is about 65% fastballs. So my thought was, if Noah, at 97-plus average fastball, let's say he pitched Let's say out of out of six out of sixty five fastballs, let's say fifty of them were around ninety four, ninety six, and then fifteen of them were ninety seven to a hundred, when all the money was on the table. That is a huge gap and a huge jump to a hitter. So if you're if you're pitching at ninety four, ninety five, and now now you see a ninety nine, with all the money on the table, mm-hmm. you, you you can't you can't catch up to that. And, and that would take a lot of stress off his arm because you're not you don't have your foot all the way down on the gas pedal, you know you you can you can kind of monitor that a little bit. Former A's Mets Brewers pitching coach Rick Peterson on the Jake Brown show. How do you, how do you think this Mets rotation and team is going to fare in 2017? I mean, we're talking about a team that, when healthy, is five starters deep and five young starters deep, and most of them have had this surgery already where they should be okay um, if healthy. Uh, is this Mets team really the team to beat here in the National League? Well, they should have the best starting pitcher in, p- pitching in baseball. 
and then, then you look at their bullpen. And their bullpen has a lot of ifs to it. Yeah, you know, without getting into the details, um, but they, they have a back end bullpen that should be fine. You know, we'll see what happens with Major League Baseball and the commissioner's office with with Familia. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they, they let me just say this: as a Major League pitching coach for for 12 years as a major league pitching coach and a bullpen coach for four years if i had this pitching staff as a major league pitching coach i'd feel pretty damn good about it yeah <laughs> let, Are, me say, let me say that do you say see yourself getting back i mean you you were in the league up until uh last year as the direct director of pitching development for the orioles uh are there any opportunities are you looking to get back in some capacity I really have no interest because of our really? crunch, crunch time. How to be a, how you're be a best when it matters most, and it's been so well received for the first five five weeks when it came out. It was ranked number one on Amazon for five weeks, and I, I've done about thirty corporate speaking events over the oh. years, and I love doing corporate speaking, keynote speaking, and corporate workshops, and I love doing media. I'm, I'm really looking into doing a lot of media because I've done a lot of media in the past when I was working for a team. But you're filtered. You're totally filtered. Mm-hmm. But if, but but if you can do media when you're unfiltered, and I can really tell the truth about what's really going on. Not that I lied before, but I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll keep it secret. <laughs> we'll keep it secret. No, uh, no, I'm just saying. I, I, there's things I'm not going to say. Yeah. You know, but if I can be totally unfiltered and and really say this is what's really going on here. Um, I think it would be. I think it would give some fans some some incredible insight. But I, I love doing corporate speaking. You know, one of my favorite keynote speaking um, presentations that I have is the leadership lessons from Moneyball. And I, I, this is this will be the third year. Um, the Wharton School of Business has a class called Wharton Moneyball, which is unbelievable. I mean, this is the top business school mm-hmm. in, in you know in the country. And I, I've done this presentation for them, and they, they absolutely love it. And this will be my second year I'm doing it for Columbia University. You know, I've done many banks and, you know, many law firms. But you know what? I realized that, you know, from being a pioneer and being an innovator in, in baseball, baseball is not an industry that wants pioneers and innovators. They, they, they squash it. They push it down. Um, Fortune 500 companies, they want innovators. They 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 want outliers. They they want pioneers. And I hit a point in my in my life at the end of this year when the book came out and it was so well received that I said, you know what? How many like how many Purple Hearts can I win in my industry? <laughs> you know? And I said, you know what? I'm I'm ready. I'm really excited to move on and and really do some coaching and and make a difference at a much higher level. Um, outside of Major League Baseball than just inside of a pitching staff. All right, we got a couple minutes left here with Rick Peterson and definitely want to extend the convo once the season starts and have you back on for sure. Give me the unfiltered version of what happened with uh, Victor Zambrano. You don't have enough time. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have nice. enough time? The we'll, Spark we'll, Notes we'll, edition. <laughs> we'll come back and do it again, but, but you and Jen had probably about about just about as much um, influence on that trade as I did. Hmm. So if you're ready for the real truth, bring me back again, and we'll tell that story. That, that, that was like a movie preview, that man. A that, great that's, teaser. That's, that's a teaser right there. Yeah, we we will definitely uh, do that again. Um, so no interest. That's interesting to me. But I understand. Like you're a very smart guy, so you have so many other opportunities. Uh, that could come your way here. All right, so we'll talk a little baseball preview here before the season. Uh, who do you like this year? Do you have a World Series favorite, minor Mets, Red Sox? Uh, who do you like going to the season here? 
Um, you know what? As a major league pitching coach, I don't really, you know, that's not a space I even like go into because when you look at coming into a season, you, you probably have about 10, 12. Now you probably have about 10 or 12 teams that you could say all have the possibility to do this. But but when you come into spring training as a major league coach, the State of the Union address to your pitching staff and to your team is we will play in October. This is the hunt for October. We will play in October. And this, the only reason we came to spring training is to play in October. Now, once you start playing in October, you know, it's a total crapshoot, and everybody's heard that a zillion times, but it, it is a total crapshoot because if you could take maybe the, the, the 20th team in Major League Baseball at the end of the season and put them in the postseason, and, and they, they may win it. They may have a chance to win it. I mean, that's how fragile the postseason is. And, you know, I mean, I, I go back to, you know, postseason after September 11th, Oakland A's, we go into Yankee Stadium for the first two games. We we, we leave Yankee Stadium two and zero. We go to, we go back to Oakland. Game three was Derek Jeter's famous backflip to to, to to throw out Giambi, Jer, Jeremy Giambi at home plate, Posada tagging him out. That was game three. I go back to the 2003. Giambi should have slid, by the way, on that on that play home. I don't know why he didn't slide. That Jeter play, honestly, is one of the most overrated play, plays in the history of baseball. Well, you should be a coach. You should be a coach, Jake. <laughs> you know, if he, if he slid, you know, we win. Right, right, yeah. We swept him. You know, and then then I go back to the last year in Oakland in 2003. We we opened up in Oakland up 2-0 against the Red Sox. We go into Saturday night, game three against the Red Sox, and Eric Burns is on second base about the sixth inning, tie game 0-0, and he rounds second on the base hit and slides in to home plate, and Veritek drops his shin guard when you can block the plate and knocks Burns off the plate. Burns, gets up, and he's limping. He's grabbing his knee. The ball got by Veritek. The pitcher was not backing up home plate. The ball went back to the backstop. Veritek ran ran all the way back to the backstop and ran all the way back and tagged Aaron Burns. Hmm. That would have been one nothing. The next inning, Miguel Tejada is on second base. Base hit. He rounds third and runs into Bill Mueller. They call obstruction. Miggy stops, throws his hands up, he stops running. Well, the rule is obstruction, you have to keep running to home plate. So they kept him a third. So now it's tie game 0 0 at the end of nine innings. We should have been up 2 0. Game's over. We swept the Red Sox, and Trot Nixon in the bottom of the 12th inning, you know, hit a, hit a home run. And long story short, we missed the playoffs in that time. You know, so so when you go back to all these opportunities and you look at these, how fragile postseason is, it's incredibly fragile. It's one pitch. It's one play. It's one, you know, bounce of the ball. You know, so from that standpoint, and, and the grind is unbelievable. And where your mind goes, and that's what Crunch Time, the book, is about, where your mind goes in these places, it it, it never stops. It doesn't end. You know, and you know, I'm as I tell these stories. You know, I'm I'm like uh, taking Advil. 
Hey, and watching Victor Zambrano pitch in that trade and the aftermath will make you have a bottle of Advil and a couple of bottles of other things um, as a Mets fan myself. Rick Peterson. Well, 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 if you really want to hear the story, get me back on. We'll tell this the whole yeah, story. Yeah. Once... It's a long story. It's not a two-minute story. Oh, I want to hear it all. I, hey, if I wasn't going to see Sugar Hill Gang right now, I would do it right now. Um, but I'm going to get my groove on there. But, yes, in a couple of weeks we will have Rick back on, back on to tell this Victor Zambrano epic story, story. Go, epic story. Go get the book Crunch Time. It was number one for five weeks, which is a lot of time on on Amazon. Crunch Time, how to be your best when it matters most. And follow him on Twitter, at Rick Peterson CT. Rick, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much. And if you'd also push out there, like rickpetersoncoaching.com. Yes, rickpetersoncoaching.com as well. Website. Awesome. Website. All right, Rick, take care. You got it. Thank you. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.